All right. If you have a copy of God's word, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read the text before Pastor Al comes and preaches. Uh, And like he said, he's got a handout. These have been extremely helpful in helping me pray. And we are walking through the Lord's Prayer line by line. So this week is the second line, but I want to read the whole thing for us. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. Here's what God's word said. Jesus is teaching his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, and when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Father, thank you for your word. Would you speak to us this morning? And as you speak, we'll know it's you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Johnny. So the the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer, why the debate? Well, the Lord gave it to them, but some would say, you've got to go read John 17 and see his struggles to see his prayer. This is the prayer he gave the disciples when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Okay, I agree, but we know what we're talking about when we say it. Some have called it the model prayer. I want to make sure you review not much of the outline, but just Look at the progression, if you would. There is a progression of three petitions or requests that are aimed at God and three petitions or requests that are related back to us. I'll remind you that there's no singular. It's not I, but it's always us. So there is that sense in which we're in this together and we can all pray this together. So as we're trying to Learn how to pray like the disciples who said, Lord, teach us to pray. I'm reminded that when we call it a model prayer, something that I I read from uh, Spurgeon, (laughs) listen to what he said. He said, I've seen an architect. I wish I could read it with a British accent. All right. He said, I've seen an architect form a model of a building that he intends to erect with plaster or wood but I never had the idea that it was intended for me to live in it. I've seen artists sketch out on a piece of paper something that they plan afterwards to work on with a more costly tool, but I've never imagined that they designed it to really be the thing itself. This prayer of Christ is a great chart, but as it were, I cannot cross the sea on a chart. It is a map, but a man cannot become a traveler by putting his finger across the map. Do you get the point? It's a model, but as a model, it's intended to guide us of a pattern that we can pray. As Johnny said last week, we looked at the beginning part of our Father. 
today we come to hallowed be thy name. I remember as a little kid memorizing this. And uh, the way that we memorized it, we said hallowed, you know. It, I don't know if it just had more flow or if that was just the southern way to do it. You know, I never had a clue what hallow meant. I, I'm also a little intrigued at times to think about how translators translate the scripture. You get those who, 1611, King James, but then you start looking at the more modern translations, and if you haven't learned this, a great way to study is to compare translations. And when you start comparing translations, sometimes you see a word that you understand better, and maybe it becomes a little more modernized. But the only thing I can figure out is that the translators, there are places that seem so sacred and memorable that they just say, nobody probably knows what the word means, but we're going to use it anyway. This is one of those places. I think the translators knew they'd be in real trouble if they messed with the Lord's Prayer, especially this word that is archaic in language and Hardly anyone knows what it means. This morning, we're going to introduce it by trying to understand its meaning. And then we're going to look at what's intended by the name that is given. Then we're going to see how to put it together and make it part of our model prayer. So first, let's deal with hallowed. The root meaning of the word is holy. It's set apart. The closest thing we come to ever using the word hallowed is in a way that's nowhere close to what we think of when we think of the word, and it's Halloween. It's built two or three different languages trying to come up with All Saints Day and All Saints Day Eve. Now, I sure hope I haven't ruined the sermon by by bringing that imagery up to your mind. But... Even that is trying to get us to think of saints, even though we're going the wrong way uh, than what we think of in the evil of Halloween. Hollow, holy. What does it mean that God's name is to be holy? Well, let's think about some related words. Some related words would be the word saints. We don't use it often. But in the scripture, it's used to talk about a person who's been born of the Spirit and brought to God in personal faith, and they've been set apart for him. Whether you know it or not, it is biblically correct for me to refer to you as St. Jerry, all right, and for me to refer to you as St. Carrie, all right, because you are saints If you know Christ and you've been set apart for him. Now we use the word sanctify. That may help you a little more. Which means that something either has gone through a process of becoming sanctified. Or something that is in the process of being made pure and made holy. I can't explain what happened to us when we came to Christ. But something in us was made holy enough for God to say you can relate to me now in a very personal way 
because I've dealt with the sin that was between us. And I've made a way by the one who knew no sin became sin for us that we might have the very righteousness of God in Jesus. And isn't it interesting that the one taught us to pray is now our high priest even interceding for us who is the one inviting us to come and pray as he even teaches us how to pray. Hallowed, holy, set apart your name. What about the name of the Lord? Well, the name is intended to be the reputation of that person. And we find ourselves wanting to get the name right. Do you know anyone named Anne? How does she spell it? I find... (laughs) With an E, she does. And I find myself, if I'm ever writing an email to Lynn and Ann, I go, hmm, do I remember this right? She puts an E on her name. Have you ever had anyone say, hey, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Just just write there. It's a big deal, okay? Not that it's a big deal to Ann, but... It's a big deal when it comes to, is it Christy with a K or Christy with a C, you know? I mean, when you're starting trying to get Johnny right, you don't put the H in there, all right? You spell it without the H when you're talking about this Johnny. But if you're talking about Pastor Johnny at First Baptist Church Woodstock, you put the H in there. And I still can't train Siri to get the spelling right when I try to dictate something, all right? Why is it a big deal? Because if we really know someone, we want to get their name right. Now, when you hear your name and someone uses your name, it has something to do with the reputation of that person. I could say names today. I could just start calling them out. And you would think of the reputation of that person. I've chosen not to because I don't want to get the list wrong and leave somebody off that you might think of. But think of a basketball player. Think of his reputation. A football player. Think of a politician, if you must. All right? Think of, think of someone, and you think of them, and you immediately think of the reputation of their name. I'm kind of of the opinion that you probably shouldn't name things after people until after they died then you won't let them mess up the reputation of what you named for them. Hopefully, if you can get it all figured out before they die. I didn't get too many smiles out of you, but you're, you're getting the point, right? When you say a name, it represents the person behind that name. Notice on your outline there that I put the word Lord. I had some things that go in that blank, and I decided instead to let you choose to write in whatever you would prefer as you think about what it means that his name is to be hallowed. Notice, first of all, that when I put the word Lord there, I put it in in all caps, but kind of a small version of all caps. Have you noticed in your Bible that often you'll come across the word Lord and it will be all caps, and other time you'll come across the word Lord, and it won't be all caps? Why? I didn't mean for this to be such a course in the language behind the scripture, but 
the reason that you see the Lord in all caps is because they're translating probably Jehovah or Yahweh in the Old Testament. When they're doing that, they're not translating Adonai, which means Lord. In the Old Testament, when God presented his name, it's interesting that he let Adam name all the animals. He even let Adam name Eve. But he didn't let Adam name him. He alone reserved the right to tell us his name. When he called Moses, he said, Moses, yes, you're right. I did speak to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But I didn't tell them my name. I'm telling you, I am is my name. And as we begin to see Jehovah, Yahweh, and watch his name unfold in the Old Testament, it represented to those who said it and who heard it the very character of the one behind his name. They would provide, as think about the provider, Abraham talked about Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. As, as he talked about uh, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is my peace. As we hear Jehovah's Kizanu, the Lord is my righteousness. As we hear the Adonai, that he is my Lord. All of those words that talk about his name speak of his character, his reputation, and what he can do. Who he is and how he does it. So today as we think about how do we hollow his name? The psalmist said, those who know your name put their trust in you. Why? Because they know the character of the one behind his name. Now here's the tricky part with this particular part of the Lord's Prayer. When we hear the words, hallowed be thy name, is Jesus recognizing the holiness of God's name or is Jesus making a request about God's name? I never thought about it for years. I, I just assumed he was saying, Father in heaven, you are the holy one, recognizing his name. But there are many that believe that this is the first request that Jesus is making. So how could that be? Well, I've given you a few things to think about as you take this home. First, when we recognize that he is holy, we are saying his name and his reputation is coming to our mind. So obviously when we say, Father in heaven, you are holy, we're recognizing him. What would it be if this were a request coming from the mouth of Jesus? He's not saying, Father, make your name holy. His name is already holy. But could it be, and the more I think about it, the more I think it is, he is praying, Father, make your holy character known. I'm asking you, Lord, as I pray, I'm about to pray that your kingdom will come. I'm about to pray that your will will be done. And I know that all of that starts when people recognize who you are, God. 
So I'm praying that you would move in power in such a way that people will know your name. Do you know that you really can't convince anyone to be saved? When you start sharing the gospel with someone, isn't it amazing how people sometimes can just look at you and say, yes, uh uh-huh, yes, and when it's over they go, "Mm, I don't think I believe that. Or, yes, uh uh-huh, yes, would you like to respond and put your trust in Christ? Mm, No. How does that happen? The only way I know to explain it is the Holy Spirit has to bear witness to the heart and call someone to personal faith. And that, in a sense, is, Father, let your holy name be known Let it be understood. Let the character that is you, let it be unveiled. Now, before we start trying to apply how we're going to pray this part of the prayer, I want you to turn it over, and I want you to look at a couple of illustrations from Scripture. These illustrations, I think, might help us understand something about God's name being holy. The first one is found in the book of Numbers. You say, where's the book of Numbers? Well, if you're using your smartphone, it's easy to find, all right? It's in the Old Testament, and you can click on it, right? But if you've got a book like this in your hand, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And in the book of Numbers, chapter 20, there's a story that's told of how God is working among his people. And I want you to notice what it says about the holiness of God's name and what he said to Moses about his holy name. Now, before we look at this exact text together, let me set up the story for you, okay? The children of Israel had been in Egypt, you remember? And they'd been down there in bondage, and God led them out. And do you remember, if you were here last year as we walked through the story of God, they came to the Red Sea, and God parted the waters, and they went across on dry land. And then God started providing for them in the wilderness, And he offered to let them go into the land of promise, but they were rebellious and said no. And so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and a generation died off before they went back in and then took the land. And during that time, God was providing for them every step of the way. He started providing food for them. He started providing manna the little what-is-it wafer that they couldn't figure out what that was, and then the quail that he sent to them. And on one occasion prior to this one, he had provided water for them. They were thirsty. And God told Moses, he said, take the staff in your hand and go to the rock and strike it. When you strike that rock one time, water's going to come forth. And it did. And God provided Water from the rock for his people. Now some time has passed. And they're grumbling again. You know where the word murmur comes from? It's a word that comes from what it sounds like. Murmur, murmur, murmur. Grumble, 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 grumble. They are tired of the wilderness. They're thirsty And they come to Moses and they say, you just going to let us die here? We're thirsty. Now, once before, God told Moses to strike the rock 
and water would come forth. But what happens here on this next occasion? The scripture says in verse 2 of Numbers 20, there was no water. They assembled against Moses and Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses. If only we had perished with our brothers before the Lord. Why have you brought us into this wilderness and for our livestock and for us to all die here? Why have you led us up from Egypt to this evil place? It's not a place of grain, figs, vines, pomegranates. There's no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting, and they fell down on their faces to the ground, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, catch this very closely now. We're in verse 8 of Numbers 20. Take the staff. That's not talking about like the associate pastor and the minister of youth. Okay, that, that's a church staff. It's a rod, okay? Take the rod, take the staff that you've been using. Assemble the community, you and your brother Aaron, and speak to the rock while they watch, and it will yield its water. You will bring out water for, for them from the rock, and provide a drink for them and the community and the livestock. So what did God say this time? He said, when you get to the rock, speak to the rock. And water will come forth. Now, Moses was mad. He was mad at the people. He was angry, angry at their grumbling. So verse 9 says, So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron summoned the necessary assembly before the rock. And Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? And Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff so that a great amount of water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. What's wrong? God told him to, what church? Speak to the rock. What did he do? He struck the rock. In his anger, he struck it. Now God, because he was having mercy and compassion on his people, still let water come forth. But catch very carefully. This is just kind of slid in here. You'll find it expounded on in other places in the scripture. But in this historical account, verse 12, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me to show my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly into the land that I've given them. Have you ever wondered why Moses didn't get to go into the land? Was it because he was too old to do it? No, because this very story I just told you, God said, you didn't treat me as holy, and so I'm not going to let you go into the land. Our Father... In heaven, we recognize and we long for the display of the holiness of your name. There's another example in scripture. We refer to it often in worship. It's in Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, the scripture tells about a moment that happened in Isaiah's life when he was worshiping and God revealed his character to him. In Isaiah chapter 6, it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord 
seated on a lofty throne. His robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. Each had six wings. Two covered his face, two covered his feet, and with the other two he flew. And one called out. Are you with me? I'm in Isaiah 6, verse 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. We just sang. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. When Isaiah encountered the holiness of God, notice what happened in verse 5. He said, woe is me, for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among people with unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah encountered the holiness of God. And when he did, what we tell you every Sunday in worship is supposed to happen. When we see God for who he is, we see ourselves for who we are. When we see him in his holiness, we see ourselves as sinners. When we see him in his perfection, we find ourselves in great need because he is other. We are not like him. And anyone who is yet to see the great chasm between the character of God and their own character is yet to truly become a believer because it is in the demonstration and revelation of the holiness of God that he brings us to see our need for Christ. Our Father in heaven, we pray that the reputation of your holiness will be known. I couldn't find any writer to make reference to this. My seminary professor always said, if you can't find someone to agree with you, you're probably wrong. <laughs> so I, I may be really wrong about this. But I think Part of what we're praying when we pray that God's name would be revealed for his character to be known, I think part of what we're praying is for spiritual awakening. We're praying that the presence of God would be demonstrated far beyond what we could do. That the presence of God would be known far beyond what we can cause. And for those in here who are not the youngest generation, you would have to say you never thought you would see in your lifetime the decay of moral character in our country that we've experienced in this day. I'm not asking you to become angry and mad and to shake your fist in anger at those who have chosen to walk away from God's design and live a different way. But I am asking you to see that I believe we will never bring our nation back to a sense of true moral character without a move of God's spirit to convince people that he is the creator and his design is right. We're not going to win it with debate. It could easily 
be demonstrated by a sweeping move of his spirit to change the hearts of people. As we join with Jesus, Father in heaven, we long for the reputation of your holy name to be known. As I thought about how that goes back and forth, I put together a little progression for you. May not make any sense to you, but it sure helped me to meditate on the unfolding of this request. May the fame of your name be known. It's rising up all around. It's the anthem of the Lord's renown. His great, famous reputation. It took me a while to get comfortable with the word famous because of how people go from totally being unknown to become the famous one on the red carpet or to have their name in lights seemed a little flippant to use that to talk about God. But in the sense of a public recognition for how different he is from all of mankind, may the fame of your name be known, Lord. I want you to watch if, if I appreciate Nick setting this up so that you could, could write in point by point. I don't know if you can see it, but I want you to watch how this prayer unfolds, I think, as we pray for his name to be known. When holiness is revealed, there's a conviction of sin. The only way people can be convicted of their sin is for God to reveal his character. And when God convinces us that his ways are right, then everyone sees that they've come short of the glory of God. When holiness is revealed, there's a conviction of sin. When sin is revealed, we see the need for the cross. There are plenty of people today right nearby to this place of worship that do not see any reason for the cross. They know it's a symbol of Christianity, but they don't know how desperately they need it in their own life. When holiness is revealed, there's conviction of sin. When sin is revealed, we see that we need the cross. When his blood is applied, we are set apart for him. So the scripture, as it remember the scene in the, in the book of Exodus when they were in Egypt and God told them to put the blood on the doorpost and that Passover lamb was slain and it said when the death angel comes by, the blood will be seen and it will pass over you. We have applied the blood of Jesus to our hearts as believers. Well, we've asked God to apply the blood of Jesus to our hearts as believers. And we have come to that sacrifice that was never intended to be the final sacrifice but a picture an illustration of one day how God would be both the sacrifice himself and the sacrificer who gave himself and would be the high priest who applied his own very blood and then made way for us to know God when the blood is applied we as followers of Christ are set apart for him. That's why we are called holy ones. 
And when we are set apart for him, he commands holiness in our lives. Turn in your Bible over to 1 Peter. There's so many places we could have made the entire sermon about. In 1 Peter, though, there's a clear writing from the Apostle Peter talking about the holiness of God. And he says to us as children, verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. God says, since I'm holy, I'm calling you to be holy. And we go, but Lord, I don't know how to be holy. Well, he says, well, you can't really be holy, but I can make you holy through the cross. And you can live in such a way that you recognize you've been set apart for me. And so you're to find your identity and you're to find your daily expression in acknowledging me as the Holy One, our Father in heaven. May your great reputation of your name May your holiness be known. May it be known in my life. And may it be known in this world around me. Peter goes on to apply holiness to the life of the Christ follower in chapter 3, verse 15. The Christian standard Bible translation says, set apart the Messiah as holy in your heart. But the ESV, I think I got it right, reads this way. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So how do we pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I've given you four words, and as you've been filling in the blanks, I want you to know I'm closing and you're on your own, okay? I'm not telling you what to write in here, but I do want to challenge you to think about it this way. As we recognize the holiness of God, like Isaiah, we respond and say, Lord, I am a sinner. And once he's drawn us to himself, we make this request back to him. Father, would you show others what you're like? Would you demonstrate the great character of your name? Lord, we pray that you would be known. And then we hear him say back to me and you then why don't you start by showing it yourself you've been called to reflect it I remember the first time I heard someone say did you know the moon really doesn't have any light of its own it's just like a big mirror and reflects back what the sun does Yeah, I know, you have no real light of your own. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. 
But then he turned right back and he said to me and you, you are the light of the world. But if we're not plugged into him, no one will see what a set-apart person looks like. Different in the way we see right and wrong and different in the way we apply mercy. Different in the way we forgive and different in the way we celebrate his perfect design. One writer said it this way. Lord, we want your displeasure to be feared, your, the cause, your command to be obeyed, to cause yourself to be glorified as you hallow the name of God. We trust him, we revere him, we obey him, we glorify him. Father in heaven, set apart your holy name in a way that people see your reputation. I guess it goes without saying that no one who claims to be a Christ follower should use his name in vain. No one should let that kind of talk come out of their mouth. So would you bow your heads today and worship this Holy One with me? As we hear him telling us, drawing us to himself. As we hear him saying, I am holy and I've made a way for you to be forgiven and then I've called you into my service to be my representative here on earth. So pray for long for have a great desire for my reputation to be known as you pray our father in heaven hallowed be your name